Don't limit yourself. Enjoy the moments and get outside of your comfort zone. Accept the new challenges. But very, the last thing is that you don't have to have 150% of the boxes checked to make sure you, to mean that you are the right candidate for the job. You'll be amazed that what you have to offer is a valuable asset and resource to others. So have faith and confidence in yourself. You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel, a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their career and life journeys. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Bree Kennebrew. She studied chemical engineering at the University of Texas at Austin and has a Master of Science, Oil and Gas at Harriet Watt University. After graduation, she began her career with a service oil field company as a field engineer. And then over the next 24 years in the same company, she had an incredible career path where she did different types of roles like diversity manager, environmental analyst, training development and staffing manager, demand planning manager, operations and HR manager. Recently, as of a year ago, she transitioned into a new chapter in her life and in her career as the HR Director, Operations at Next Year Oilfield Solutions. And with over 25 years in total of her energy experience, she continues to stay closely rooted to her engineering skills by focusing on operational side of the business, the people side as well, and continuing to promote something that she's so passionate about, which is developing careers in STEM for women and for men. So Ray, thank you so much for being here today. We cannot wait to dig in more into your background and just how you got to where you are today. You have a fascinating career path. We look forward to hearing more about you today. Thank you, ladies. I am super excited to join you. I've seen all the podcasts. And so I'm like, finally, it's my turn. I get a chance. <laughs> and so I am super excited and I can't wait to get started. I'm ready. Well, we are so happy to have you on. And some of our listeners might have seen you before at our events. We have had you open up. Rhea is such an inspiration to all of us. And you will learn more about her in this podcast and really understand why that is so. So let's just get right into it, Rhea. You know, you were born and raised in Beaumont, a small city outside of Louisiana, for those who don't know. Your father was a hardworking employee at DuPont who emphasized the importance of college education and not falling in his footsteps. I remember when we spoke, you talked about him actually showing y'all his uh, his hands and like the wear and tear because he worked very tirelessly outside working uh, very hard for DuPont. He wanted y'all to get an education. Your mother come from a large family, very educated, and they highly valued education as well. How did that impact your career and aspirations to embark on a STEM career? Seeing what your father did, then also as your mother being so impactful in education and then really wanted you to get a career. Where did the inspiration to go into STEM come from? Yeah. So you talk about this. So for people who don't know Beaumont, Beaumont is a town where majority of the revenue and the employment comes from working at the refineries. Or you work in the independent school district. And so my father chose the refinery side working at DuPont. And my mom, who comes from a large family of nine, she has nine brothers and sisters. The ladies were teachers. So it was understood in their family, I was going to be a teacher. And most of them are English majors or math. But for me, 
I didn't want to do either one. I didn't want to just be pigeonholed into working in a refinery. And I didn't want to be a teacher. There's nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't for me. But what I did know is that I enjoyed math and science. The way it happened is I got involved with group. It was a program called TAME, Texas Alliance for Minorities in Engineering. And I understand that engineering wasn't something that was already in my family. It wasn't something I had seen. It was a path that was brand new, but it was perfect. I thought I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be an OBGYN, but it changed. After the first dissection of the cat, I knew that wasn't me. So I said, well, I'm still good at math, so let's work on engineering. But the benefit of TAME is that they allowed us to have STEM projects, hands-on experience. The volunteers were a part of STEM programs, whether they were engineers themselves or a part of some kind of math and science. And they were mentors to us and helped guide us in opportunities. From that, I said, I'm moving on to majoring in chemical engineering, but it is a passion for me to showcase that. So you don't see it in your families. I was the first generation in my dad's family to go to college, very first person. And for those who don't know or imagine, oh, it's quite a bit of pressure because you want to succeed. You want to make the family proud. And he was so excited. And he was his thing to show us his hands and his calluses and to say, don't follow in my footsteps. I want my children to have the education and become more aware of the opportunities out there. And so that's what I did. So I take that and I move forward in my current life and I want to give that back to the community. So right now I am sitting on the board for a nonprofit called Supergirl Shine Foundation. And the best thing about that is that their mission basically is to equip underserved females or ladies with STEM plus opportunities through early exposure. And so the theme behind it is exposure plus access equal opportunities. And that's what I was given, that exposure, that access and opportunities. And that's where I am today. Wow. I love just everything that you mentioned from your parents kind of instilling that education in you and giving you wanting a better future for their children, but you not stopping there and giving back to the community and knowing that there's other young girls out there that might not have those opportunities or those parents who are pushing to STEM and then here you are giving back. So I'm sure there's nothing better than giving to the community uh, the way you are now. To go way back into 25 plus years ago, How did you get into the oil and gas industry? We talk about representation and how much it matters and how important it is. And it seems you already had a job offer. You were in your last year, but you met Paula Harris, which we are a huge fan of her. And I'm sure everybody listening knows who she is. And you met her and she intrigued something in you. Maybe you saw yourself in her or she inspired you to become a field engineer for this service company that you joined, but you had a job offer for a leading operator. So how did you tell us a little bit about that encounter and what made you decide to actually take this field engineer role? Yeah. So I'm sure everybody knows Paula and she is amazing. And yes, she really is amazing. But I met her while at the University of Texas at Austin. I was working in the engineering office as a student worker. My job was to be the corporate liaison, and that's how we encountered. She was a recruiting manager at Slumberger at the time, which is now SLB. And so our paths crossed. And so she would talk about, I'd seen her various times, but we really got an in-depth conversation. And she would talk about the company and how she started as a petroleum engineer in the field and working on rigs. Well, I was a chemical engineer major. So we are more on the downstream. So we're taught about refineries and things like that. I had never heard about the upstream side. You know, we have the petroleum, but that just wasn't my forte. So they came and they had interviews and I did. I already had an offer for a leading operator. And so I knew that's what I was going to work. But I was intrigued by, she talked about the daily life. What are you doing? The travel, the global opportunities. And so I did a first interview with them. It went great. Even offered me a second interview before I even left the first interview. And my second interview was in Louisiana, which was 
different environment. Like I said, I had only seen the refinery side, so this was totally different. But what really got me is the chance when I did my second interview to talk with the young engineers and the amount of responsibility they had, the amount of opportunity for growth they had, and the opportunity to see the world in a, a global setting. The company I was going with at the time, 25 years ago, it wasn't those rotational programs that you see today. So you had to wait on somebody to retire or move out before you can have that growth and move into that next position. And when I went to the company of Schlumberger at the time, it was like, oh, the opportunities. I was amazed. I was excited. I went through the interview. The interview was all men. Can you believe that? I was the only girl. They had seen the environment. I didn't. So I really felt I wasn't going to get the job. The offer came by the end of the week. I signed it at the end of the week. And I even went back to the company and told them why I wasn't going to be working for them and explained. And they truly understood. As a matter of fact, it was a lesson for them to know they need to progress into a transition program, a growth program, a program that offer opportunities across all functions and not just have to wait for retirement or a position to open as young engineers were looking for something different. So it worked out really well. As a matter of fact, look at the longevity of the career I had in the company. You can really see from a lot of people that had the opportunity to work for a major service company like SLB, that openness of being able to progress and move around the world always is very intriguing. But it's not so much that they just talk about it, but they actually do it. Like you actually get that opportunity and you got to see that. And I think that's what's so incredible of just about the energy industry in general, especially now with just the global opportunities around the world that people have just entering into the energy workforce. So thanks for sharing that part of your story. And what's another thing that we usually always hear too is there's always a downturn that's going to happen. And for you, during the 1998 downturn, you just graduated, which seems like the worst time usually, but you got a job. But layoffs are happening at the same time. So you're entering into a workforce where people are getting laid off, which can sometimes lead to animosity and negativity just because people are like, oh, they're bringing somebody in. And now we're actually laying a lot of people off at the same time, which we do see this throughout the course of history with energy in general, or oil field service companies and operators. You were a new field engineer, one of the only women on the crew. So you faced a lot of challenges because you're in a new city, a new environment, layoffs are happening, and even people were doubting your deservingness of the role. And unfortunately, these type of negative comments and feelings haven't gone away today in 2023 either. And it's not just for women that get this negative comment. You know, it's in general, it's across the board as well. Learning from this experience, what lessons did you learn from being in that and having to deal with these types of situations, especially as a new up and coming engineer working in a new, not just a new industry, but also a new environment? Yeah. So number one, I am proof that you can get hired doing a downturn. (laughs) That's number one. But with that, it's like you said, it comes along with a little bit of animosity. So arriving at the location, you know, they had to slay it off. And whether it was their brothers, their cousins, their parents, their father, it was still that sense of, oh, now we've let go of our experience to bring in a new engineer. And not only that, I was a female engineer and the town did not have people of color. So I was the highlight for sure at that particular time. But what I learned is, and I even use it today, is number one, I earned it and I deserve to be there. And that means today as well. Whatever position I'm in, I earn that position and I deserve to have that seat at that table in that position. Number two, I learned don't judge a book by its cover. Get to know the person, understand what they're about and who they are about. I also know and have understood it way before this. My grandparents used to tell me, treat others as you would like to be treated. Right? It goes a long way. 
And the very last thing is that several different things will happen. You're going to encounter various different people. There'll be various scenarios. Not every day is going to be a happy-go-lucky day. And there's still some negativity that exists. Whether you think I deserve to be there or I should be there, I am there. So you can't change others of how they feel about you and think about you. Only thing you can do is educate them and be the best that you can be and show them differently. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technique FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, go to technipfmc.com. And now back to the show. Thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of people will face this at some point where that the team or whoever feels like you're not deserving to be there for whatever reasons, whether you're a minority or just the situation of the energy industry and whether there's downturns, et cetera. So thank you for sharing that. I really like how you kind of broke it down for us. Going back to some of your career path and a job that was offered to you in 2001 was the diversity recruiting manager. And initially, when you received it, you were a little bit thrown off in the sense that you wanted to continue in operations. You wanted to be the field service manager, feeling that as an engineer, you know, that's kind of the path that you should do next. However, you decided to embrace the position and it remains one of your most favorite positions to date. And I want to hear a little bit more about it. And I believe during this process, when you took ownership of this position, there was an initiative from SLB to hire female talent and minorities. And you did a recruitment process in Puerto Rico. And you were just blown away by seeing things from a different lens when you got there and you realized that maybe we were missing certain aspects when we're trying to hire female talent. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience and what you found? Yes, it was a unique role. I got an offer letter say, I'm going to be the diversity manager for recruiting. First thing I thought about is what type of job is this? You know, I'm an engineer. I thought I was going to be on the path to move to line management. And I really questioned it. As a matter of fact, in the beginning, I thought, what did I do wrong to get this job? But after I started, it was an amazing job. It was an opportunity to still go out to the universities, meet with the students, talk about the company, but offer that diversity into the company I was with at the time. So I had a chance to get with SHIP, Society of Hispanic and Professional Engineers, National Society of Black Engineers, and SWEET, Society of Women Engineers, and had a chance to visit the various universities, get the company involved into these universities and these organizations, and promote our diversity awareness, right, and increase that diversity within the company. One thing about, they were like, we need to increase our female population, especially in field operations. How do we make that happen? And we decided to look at where are females? Where is the largest population of female graduates? And oddly enough, it was at the University of Puerto Rico. My yes. Can you believe it? So we said, well, you're not going to put all our eggs in one basket. We're going to try it. We started with a sweeve it. And we went to the university, took just a little handful to see how it was, if it was really for us. And then we did the career fair. 
To our surprise, oil and gas was last at the table. Manufacturing had covered the population. They knew way more than we knew at the time. And they knew who they wanted and target population or the group that they were looking for. And they went to those universities where they were located and they had already beat us to the game. And so we were so shocked we went in there. So we had to educate about oil and gas because manufacturing had truly taken over quite a few of the companies were already in existence. But what I learned from that and even take it into the company after 20 plus years, we still do it today, is think about what are we looking for? How can we be the company of choice? Where are these this population located, whether it's the functions of finance, HR, even if it's engineering, you know, we need to go to the universities just because they're not the big names does not mean that the students are any less of quality. They may not want to go far from home, mm-hmm. close-knit family, first generation, may want to stay close. And they attend good universities and they're good skill sets, but we are always focused on the larger groups, our larger universities, when we should really think about it a little differently. Where is the best qualified students and take a look at that when we start doing data and analytics and say, where are these majors? Where are these students? Where are these demographics? How can we get into that space? Yeah, I really like that you pointed that out because a lot of times we get stuck in this cycle of AMs and UTs and the universities that we all know and hear about all the time. And it's sometimes going out that reach where you can find great candidates, but also the opportunity to diversify a lot more. And there's nothing wrong with the big universities, by all means. They have great, I mean, that's why we go to them. They have great students. But sometimes it's important to just look outside of that and see what else the opportunity. And for Puerto Rico, it's just so interesting when you talk about that, because it's not something that comes to mind at first. Thank you for sharing and something that a lot of people can learn from. One thing that we always discuss and is just a huge topic in general, and it's not just related to oil and gas, but it's how do we support women in their career progression? And with your extensive experience in HR and operations, when women decide to have a family, we need to sometimes consider the life cycle of a woman when they might need more support, when there might be less support. And with this, it might be an opportunity for companies to find a way to help women in different phases of their lives. What have you learned are some necessary steps that companies can take to balance this, especially with the programs that you're a part of and everything that you've seen, what have you seen work and not work and potentially an opportunity that you see open for a lot of companies to grab a hold of and support their women employees? Yeah. You know, so every time this conversation comes up, I think about it because I don't have children. I I didn't birth children, but I think people need to understand that families come in different shapes and sizes these days. So I have a niece and nephew, a set of twins. Their dad is my twin and they are just like my own from day one. They feel like I'm their second mom. If you ask them, it takes a village and I'm a part of the village. So even that transition of just because you didn't birth them does not mean you're a mommy. We come in various aspects. And so when you think about the family aspect, sometimes you see women, they said, okay, well, I'm ready to have my family, but I don't want to lose my spot. Your spot, Hmm. your position, your seat. And that's a big fear. So sometimes they hesitate. But you should not hesitate on your life. There is life outside of work. We shouldn't hesitate on that. I think the best thing a company can do is encourage, support, make sure they know it's okay to have that family. And when you come back, when that person comes back or that lady comes back or whoever's coming back from leave, don't just bombard them right away with their new role. There should be a transition phase to get them acclimated. Maybe it's for the first three months. Maybe it's for the first five months. But it's a lot to take in. Now I'm back at work. 
Now I have to balance a new baby. I'm still maybe a little sleep deprived, depending on what area or how the baby's sleeping. At the same time, managing a schedule of drop-off pickup. I can't work the late hours I used to be. And we have to be willing to understand some people may have to leave a little bit earlier in the day, but when they get home and they put their child down at night, they will be online to finish the rest of their work. Nothing is left to the side. And we need to be able to be flexible enough, especially as leaders and managers, to empower our employees to know it's okay. We're not judging you because you have to be within a certain window of time to work. I think that if we offer programs throughout the year where, hey, you may have to have some time to take your baby to the doctor or whatever it is for that first year, definitely the first year is the most important to get them back into the workforce, to get them back acclimated into their daily life, but also help them balance and not be stressed. I think if a person is happy at home, they're going to be happy at work because you have that balance. And I think that's something that companies need to really focus on and look at because that's really truly employee support. And those programs may look in various ways at various companies, but I think it's something we should always keep in the back of our mind. What is most important for the employee? A productive employee is one who's not stressed, happy, and is so excited to come to work and enjoy their job. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. It's really incredible that even though you don't have children, you are still an advocate. And it's really important because maybe some people may feel like because they don't, then they don't have to be advocates. And they are like, well, it doesn't affect me. But it's really nice to see that you're speaking for others and you're looking at policies and just implementing things for other people. It's really nice. Like not a lot of people have that. So it's really amazing to hear that. And in terms of flexibility, Maybe it was a nice to have back in the day, but now we're in a new generation. We're just in a new world where flexibility is key. And to your point, it's not that, oh, because you're a parent, now you have to do less work. It's no, you just have to juggle it differently. And to your point, they're going to be home at seven o'clock and they're going to be back on their laptops when maybe you don't have to do that. We wanted to talk a little bit about your full 24 year career at SLB. And you had so many diverse roles, like I mentioned in the beginning, I don't want to mention them all, but just you had such an incredible path and touched so many different divisions and just things to do in your career backpack, let's say. What was some of the key successes or factors that contributed to your growth and success? Because it's hard. It's a hundred thousand person company. You have to stand out. You have to be good at your job and everybody's good at their job. So you have to be doing more than being good at your job. And you did that through your career. And so can you tell us a little bit about that? And then also like what presented some of the most significant challenges for you or role and what made it difficult? Can you share a little bit about just your journey through all of those careers? Yeah. It's been quite a few, (laughs) quite a few uh, different roles and each one of them have been different, right? But I think my most important thing for myself was the willingness to learn something different, learn something new. I was open. I didn't turn down a job right away because I didn't know what the job had to offer. Now, don't get me wrong. I thought about some of them, like, what is this about? And I just mentioned that earlier, but I never turned down the job. I wanted to see what it had to offer. Some of them were great because they were new roles, like the environmental analyst. So you got a chance to put your own spin on it and make it what you wanted to do. That particular role allowed me to go into DC and see how legislation was done and regulations. And that was great because that was at the time when hydraulic fracturing was the buzz. Poland hadn't started. You know, they were trying to get into fracturing and understand shale. But at the same time, you had the East region in the U.S. saying, okay, you're contaminating my water. So that was a role I never thought about, but they needed my experience from being in operations as well as a chemical engineering background. And so when you move into these various roles, you don't know what to expect. Some of them are already in existence and some of them you have to create. But I'm not afraid to ask for help and support. 
So I'm really good at being transparent. And I think that that success factor that's helped me along the way. Also networking. How do you know what you want to do if you never have a chance to meet people who are doing it or ask questions about how they're doing or how is it or what's the life like or what is the role like? And the very last thing, which has been the most important for me, is the mentorship. So it may not have been a formal program that the companies has offered, but I had informal mentors. And the mentors are not, they're not just like you. I call them my board of directors. They're the people who are invested into me and into my personal growth, my professional growth. And so they come from all different areas and backgrounds in the company, but they were informal and they were willing to help. I can bounce ideas off of them. They can give me feedback. And sometimes they put me back in my right direction if I'm off path. And I think that that's really important as you go along your careers that you never need to walk along. There should be always someone with you as a mentor and guide to help you along the way and make sure you give back to someone else as well. Uh, Right. So let's say over the 24 years and to your point, you never turned down a job and you kind of just went through all of what was thrown at you. Was there a period or a year where your mindset switched and said, I now want this? Like, you know, there's a point where you kind of let the company drive your career, but then there's also a point where you're like, I'm now in the driver's seat. Did that ever happen for you? And maybe like what seniority did that look like? Well, I think it came a time where it used to be anytime, any place where it came to a point where no location matters because there were certain things in my life that were more important. I took that role of my parents were getting older. I didn't want to move. I wanted to be closer to home. I knew that I loved operations, but I also loved the HR aspect. And so there was a time where I said, okay, operations, I was moving from place to place, at least in some of the functions, I was allowed to stay a little bit more closer to home and what was offered. And so there's various stages in that life cycle that allows you to do different things. And so it came to a point where I was ready to have a more stable atmosphere. And I did. I talked about it. I mentioned it to my manager. I stood firm on, you know, it was at the time for that company is like, I'm willing to move, willing to relocate or not move. It was a hard little struggle for me to slide that bar and said, no, I'm not moving anymore. I want to stay in one location because for years I thought that was the way to move up and promote your career. But really and truly there are other ways you enhance your skill sets by learning, but you can still be in one space. Yeah, on that topic of really controlling your destiny almost (laughs) to some standpoint, you decided after a long stint at Slumberjay and being your first employer outside of college to make a move. And we get asked a lot, how do you know during a career when it's time to leave a company? Especially when sometimes it really does feel like you're breaking up with somebody when you do it. And it, it can lead to some realizations afterwards if you're like, wow, like I had my identity in that company, right? You've been one year at Next here so far. You love it. It's been a great experience for you. But can you tell us, like, when did you actually recognize when it was the right time to make this career move? And how do you emotionally detach yourself from a company when you really feel like it is part of your identity and brand? Yeah, that's a very good question because I was attached. It's been years. The company I started straight out of college, all my skill sets that I had was developed through the company, through professional growth and professional development programs in the various roles. But it got to a point where I felt stagnant. I felt like the landscape was moving, but I was sitting still and opportunities were there, but I just wasn't moving. And so I felt like I was ready to grow and see something else. And when I left, it was amicable. It was no bad feelings or anything because it was very positive for me to grow and move to something else. That means that the company had done a great job. And they're giving me that skill set that I needed for others to see, oh, she's very valuable and her assets are important. Opportunities came about. It was time for a new chapter. 
It was a growth. What is that next phase of my life going to be? I've done this chapter. Where do I see myself next? And what's the direction? I left for that opportunity. You talk about emotional journey. Yes, it was very emotional because you do have those friendships. You have those relationships. And that was like your family. You were kind of departing from the family. But what I realized is that oil and gas is a small pond. I see those same people where there's at the flip in the barrel events and we pick up just like it was yesterday. Uh, we still have dinners or lunches or we meet up and some of them are still clients. I see them in various meetings today. So I'm not there at that company, but the skill set that they've given me provided me the new opportunities I see today. So in that respect, they were excited. They were happy and wished me the best of luck. And the relationships are still there today. I see them. I still talk to them and they're still ongoing. Well, we're so proud of you because that's not easy. It's easier said than done. And you took a chance and it's because you're ambitious and you're still not willing to settle for just what was given. I think it's very empowering to see that. And it's sad, but very exciting because now you get just a new landscape and something new. That's really cool. And last, we want to ask you with someone with 25 years of experience, you've seen it all, I'm sure. You've been in so many different scenarios, situations, role, etc. Can you leave us with what would be like one piece of advice on somebody that's starting their career journey, let's say today? Well, it's not just one. My thing is don't limit yourself. Enjoy the moments and get outside of your comfort zone. Accept the new challenges. But very, the last thing is that You don't have to have 150% of the boxes checked to make sure to mean that you are the right candidate for the job. You'll be amazed that what you have to offer is a valuable asset and resource to others. So have faith and confidence in yourself. I love your ending, but more importantly, what I love about your story is looking back at where you started. And if you just think about you were going to take this job with this operator. You you met a woman who impacted you. You said, okay, I'm going to go to Slumberger because there's this global experience that I see in this opportunity. And then to fulfill that over a long time with Slumberger, it's just like, it's incredible to think. And then initially you starting, and then when you started, you had people that were negative towards you for the role that you had. And a lot of people at that time would give up. And say, oh, maybe this is the wrong spot. Like, I'm not even in my hometown. I'm somewhere else. But you kept pursuing and pushing. And now you are where you are. And I just think it's so inspirational. And we're so happy to have you on the podcast to share your journey. And we're excited to continue to watch and see where you continue to go. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you, ladies. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. And if you liked this episode, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment. We love to hear from you and we'll see you on the next one. 